when I try to encourage people, you know, they're like, I'm not really feeling uh, the spirit in my life. And I say, well, tell me a little bit about your life. You know, and like, well, I'm just a father of four kids. I'm working hard and I'm trying to be faithful. And, you know, I got them all to church today. And, and there you go. I've been praying every morning. And I'm like, yes, like you're just, the Holy Spirit. everything you're talking about <laughs> is a work of the Holy Spirit. Welcome again to the Stand Firm podcast, your source for piping hot takes, freezing cold takes, and everything in between. Uh, we're talking about current events and those mighty acts that happened several thousand years ago. We're talking theology, culture, the Bible, Anglicanism, and I know if he gets a chance, JD will proselytize a Tim Allen movie here and there. Yes. Um, as usual, I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here with JD Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and Matt Kennedy of Church of the Good Shepherd Anglican in Binghamton, New York. How are you guys doing today? Great. Doing great, Nick. My wife and I finished watching the first season of The Chosen the other day. Y'all watching this thing? I saw the whole thing. I binge watched it. I loved it. I had several prisoners. I can't believe my eyes and ears. It's pretty incredible. I stayed away from it for a while until enough people, I don't know what what number it was that I trust, put me over the edge. And I finally said, all right, I'll watch your silly, you know, cheesy Christian movie. (laughs) And then then I I was crying crying for the next 48 hours. That's right. And I've watched, Laz and I were just, so we actually had this sort of weird convictional moment where I realized it took me 42 years to realize this, that I don't actually have to watch anything I don't want to. And so all these shows we were watching were just leaving me by the time like they ended just in this sort of sniveling pile of, of self despair for the culture, for my life, for, for everything I've been called to. And I said, you know, you know, I guess there might be other things that are more uplifting and wholesome to watch than whatever it was. And I so, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, we switched. So I can put in a thing. It's not Tim Allen, although it is Canadian. Uh, so that is, uh, it's called Heartland. And it's basically like Little House on the Prairie meets sort of um, uh, show jumping uh, culture in the middle of Ottawa or somewhere like that. Somewhere somewhere they have a, um, uh, Canadian accents. But it's it's wholesome. I mean, it's not a Christian movie. You know, Kirk Cameron doesn't star in it, but it is. Um, <laughs> it's incredibly wholesome. And I, have, and I go to bed with a smile on my face as opposed to, you know, wondering what sort of world we're leaving our great-grandchildren. Yeah, and so that's nice. Maybe they, yeah, yeah. I kept I kept waiting for the chosen to go to get bad. Okay, this episode is where they're going to kill it. That's right. Um, and it, it didn't. I mean, there's there were some things you know you take issue with, like like Jesus constantly telling Peter's wife, "Hey, I really see something special inside of Peter. That's why I picked him." And <laughs> no, no, no. That's right. Uh, but there were but but uh, overall, man, it's it's probably the better the best Jesus movie I've I've seen. Yeah, and I was explaining uh, to to Ted, the rector here today. I said, you know, it's it's a little bit of an exercise in what we do as preachers. You know, we we don't say that this is you know we say what the the Bible says, and then mm-hmm. there's a certain you know kind of conjecture about well, what might Peter have been thinking, like when he, Jesus said, "Let down your nets," and he said. You know, we yeah. read. Well, I've been fishing all night. Like, well, yeah. you know, what? How did he? How did he seem? What? What was his composure in that moment? Yeah. And, and I find that it's a really well preached sermon mm-hmm. um, that stays as so far very, very faithful to the text. Yeah. I loved the interaction with Nicodemus about yeah. um, hearing that dialogue come out in real time, or at least seeing it on play in real time, and just. Um, I was very moved and very encouraged by it. Mm-hmm. And I, we gave money, you know, at the end. I mean, they asked you, you know, if you've, you, so you watch you, this because some other, that's right, <laughs> my own money. That's right. I actually paid for something uh, that I watched uh, knowingly. And so it was, 
um, it was great. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, one thing that The Chosen has not gotten into yet, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Jesus has just met the woman at the well in John 4 as the first season ends. We don't really have the Spirit yet in the show, but we have Pentecost this week in the church. We're all preparing sermons, I'm sure. And so I thought we could take this week to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit. What is it? Is it an it? Is it a he? Or as some are so fond of insisting, a her? Uh, what role does the Holy Spirit play in the life of a Christian? What about the gifts? There's so much to talk about with regard to the Holy Spirit. I, I thought an interesting place to start, though, would be to ask you guys what you think is the most misunderstood thing about the Holy Spirit, and then we can sort of go on our conversation from there. So what do you guys think is most misunderstood about the Holy Spirit in the church today? Well, I, I remember several instances um, after a Sunday morning service, standing in the line, Christians filing past, and, and one, one woman in particular says, no, I just didn't feel spirit here this morning. I just didn't feel like he showed up. And, you know. <laughs> Thank you very much. Wow. Yeah, no, it's great. Thank you. Um, but, but, you know, what, what had she just sat through? She, she sat through the Bible being read, scriptures being preached, the gospel being proclaimed, the gathering of the body, the sacrament of communion uh, celebrated, all through each of those, Christ promises to be present. Uh, the objective reality of the Spirit, yes. uh, Spirit's presence in the church and in the and the believer, is not something you necessarily feel all the time. And I think that I think it's somehow in our. I'm not sure when it happened. Uh, maybe the charismatic movement in the in the 60s. But but for for many Christians, I think the 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 chief way that we relate to or believe that we have a relationship with God is if we feel it. And if we don't feel it, wow, there's something wrong. I just, I got, I got to have this, this feeling that I, I feel like I'm alone from isolated. I feel like God's not with me. What's wrong. God's not in the service. What's wrong. And if, if I could, if I could do brain surgery and remove anything in the, in the way that the common evangelical and sometimes Ang- Anglican people think about the Holy Spirit, I would say it's, it's, it's Holy Spirit's presence is an objective reality given yes. as a gift to all who believe in and to the church in general. It's not, he's not something that you, that you necessarily feel uh, at work in you. Yeah. And it's not, <clears throat> it's not to say that you, excuse me, there are no affections um, or emotions right, tied right. up with Christianity. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think that the, the tying them one-to-one is a real error. I mean, I remind people all the time that when, when the Beatles landed, you know, in Heathrow or whatever, or, or in JFK, you know, people cried and fell to the ground and passed out and said, I'm not necessarily sure that was an act of the Holy Spirit, you know I mean? <laughs> um, and when that happens, perhaps it is an act of the Holy Spirit, but I agree with you that the, the one-to-one tying is very problematic because what happens is, is you begin to, to craft your, your service and your, your yep. music in particular around a certain evocative uh, techniques. I mean, I, I actually did this for, in my former Worship life. Worship becomes eros. That's in right. Your- when, in our former life, I was a, um, I was a soul cycle or a cycle, uh, a spin cycle instructor and something. And I was, Nick and I, and I was used this now. It wasn't soul cycle. It was, um, uh, was it cycle, cycle bar. bar? But anyway, but it, but the oh, meaning is you, so it's like a new age thing. It's a soul cycle. Well, but listen, but this <laughs> is what's interesting. Is exactly that. That's Why, exactly really? right. When we sat around talking about crafting the 
playlist, right? There's like 12 to 15 songs. It was exactly, it was reminiscent of the way that you would craft a, a service. You sort of bring people in uh, with something light and airy, not too deep, and then you get them all excited and sort Gathering of up and clapping, and then you have something sort of deep, and there was something called a soul hill, where you put something on like, you know, Everybody Hurts by REM or something, or something that makes people, you turn off all the lights, make sure that everyone doesn't know that the person next to them is crying because you're playing, um, you know, well, a lot of REM, it turns out, um, or, uh, or, you know, Johnny Cash, Nine Inch Nails Hurt, you know, you play that. And then you leave them on an up note, you know, like the uh, ABC by the Jackson 5 or something on the way out. And it was right. amazingly effective, though. I mean, this is why I tell people all the time, it's like, I'm, I'm suspicious of, of churches um, or anything that follows this type of technique precisely because I'm so, I'm so weak. You know, I, I'm so easily right. manipulated. I mean, I, you know, I could go to a church and be brought down and brought up and brought down by the, by the conductor. Right. And I'm, I'm wary of that. I, because well, I that's know what it is. It's manipulation. It. Yes. Yeah, it's manipulation. And, it can, and, and because the aim in a lot of churches is, is just that to get the emotions whipped up either uh, in, in a sense of you know, eagerness for the sermon or uh, whatever it might be is coming after the 40-minute the mu music set in the beginning of the service or whatever it might be. Yeah, they're, they're trying to get you into a mood, they're trying to get you into a, a sense. And, and usually they'll associate that mood with with the Holy Spirit. This right. Is, and historically this. speaking, that type of that type of ecstatic worship has many more similarities to pagan worship mm -hmm, than it does mm -hmm. to ordered right. Christian worship. I mean, that's, you know, sort of the lose yourself, become one Get, with, with become the spirit or the yeah. universe, um, you yeah. know, has, has had a lot more similarities with, with uh, pagan worship, even to this day. Uh, and there's many, many uh, studies written about that. But I, I agree with you. I think that that's... Um, that's, you know, because the flip side, the flip side, though, are people who sort of are suspicious of, of any emotion at all in the in the service. You know, I mean, there was there was a technique and I forget what century you may know it, but but I read something somewhere where the actual training technique in certain Protestant churches was to try. Oh, Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. Yep. Jonathan Edwards was trying to attempt yeah. to read it as monotone and uninflected as possible so as not to in, yeah. inflame any of the passions at all. And I think that might have been, well, of course he was reacting to, to things, you know, in his particular context, but I think that there is a balance between the two, you know. Between. Yeah, to say that you don't feel the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't, he doesn't produce emotions. Of course he does. Right. Uh, he, he produces holy affection. Part of the Holy Spirit's work in your soul is to, is to retrain your emotions that you really love what you ought to love and hate what you ought to hate. That's right. Um, and and that, that's a lifelong process. So yes, he produces emotions in you, but he is not personally felt necessarily all the time in your... <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I agree. And I think that's part of the continuation of the error is that when people don't actually understand what the Holy Spirit does in your life, you know, this is what, because any confession of faith, any uh, amendment of life, any in sense of holy guilt or, or genuine conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, repentance is a work of the Holy Spirit. And when people, yeah. when people, you know, courage, faith, like these are the gifts, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, like when those are evident to whatever degree they are in a Christian direction, then that becomes an opportunity to thank God through the power of right. the Spirit for his mercy. Right. And those, I are, think, those are objective signs that's that exactly you are right. indeed 
uh, indwelt by that's right. by God because those are not natural things. You don't naturally have that's those. That's right. Well, I look in Romans 5, I always go to this, and Luther loved this imagery of the Holy Spirit being poured into our hearts. You know, and Paul says that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put to shame because it is the, the love of God being poured into our heart by right. the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I find that when I try to encourage people, you know, they're like, I'm not really feeling um, the spirit in my life. And I say, well, tell me a little bit about your life. You know, and like, well, I'm just a father of four kids. And I'm working hard and I'm trying to be faithful. And, you know, I got them all to church today. And, and there you go. I've been praying every morning and I'm like, yes, like you're That's just the Holy Spirit. Everything you're talking about is a work of the Holy Spirit in yeah, your right. life. You know, you should probably. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, just the baseline. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. For sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you are, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So when well, that's Saint what Paul was... says in Romans 8, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are mm-hmm. children of God, that's, that's, a, that's an objective claim, not a yes. subjective one. He's saying that you can bear witness that you're a child of God is a work of the indwelling Holy Spirit in you. That's right. It comes well, right after Paul says that you, you call, the, the Spirit leads you to cry out to God as Abba, right, as, yeah, as, that's right. as Father, which is, which is a th- one way I think Paul's talking about faith itself. Like you, you, trust, you trust in God because the Holy Spirit has brought you into the place where you, you're willing to. Yes. There's this weird nefarious connection, I think, between what you're saying, Matt, about um, the feeling – and the other thing that I think we commonly think of when we think of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a Christian, which is a kind of leading, we sort of follow the Holy Spirit on the path we should go. And when you make the connection between the feeling and the leading, you right. start to talk about things like feeling at peace, that you're doing yep. what you're supposed to be doing, that you're on the way that the Lord has planned for you. And the danger there, of course, is that we are most at peace when we're doing what we want to do. Yeah. Right, right. In, in fact, the Holy Spirit in chapter 5 of Galatians is, has been given to us that we will not do what we want to do. I mean, Paul right. says that explicitly. So, so you don't want to make that association, even though he is right now changing your affections so that you do increasingly want to do the right thing. Never rely on on your that's wants right. as the as the, right. the guidepost for your life. I mean that that and that's why the, the connection between uh, the work of the Spirit and the power of the Word uh, written and preached is is you know they're inextricable. I mean they're they're inextricably linked because the Spirit will not contradict what has been revealed through through the Scriptures. Um, simply as Jesus Himself said over and over again, yes, you, I'll send someone to remind you of everything that I've said, and then teach them everything that I taught you to tell them. And He says specifically, words. He will not have His own words. That's right. right. He will. Say I mean, I listen. I actually met with someone once. I use this all the time, and he was trying to convince me. Um, he said he was uh, at the time he was having a relationship with someone he should not have been having a relationship because he was a um, otherwise uh, engaged man. And um, he said, I believe that the Lord is leading me to, to do this. And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know a lot of things, but I know one thing for sure. That is not the Lord speaking to you. I was like, he, the, and so I think, you know, just so you know, um, because, you know, for me, one of the most powerful things that the spirit does, or at least I've come to appreciate is was revealed when I was re well, it's been revealed and when Jesus himself talks about the spirit coming in John 16, um, John 16, five says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paracleo here, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, mm-hmm. righteousness, and judgment. That this, this convicting aspect of the Holy Spirit is the mark of his work in the hearts of people. I mean, think about 
you know, this is what Luther saw when he talked about the, the work of theology properly understood is the contemplation of the sinful human and the justifying God. And those adjectives are very important because it, it bounded the, the nature of theological reflection around the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and the saving work of Christ for sinners. And so I was, I was struck by that because when you see people who talk about God in all sorts of ways other than their savior, you know, their, their redeemer, the one who laid down their life for him, uh, his life for them, um, then you're talking, I'm usually sort of confused about the God about which they're speaking because, because it seems to be the work of the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth, um, begins to lead people to speak rightly about themselves and about God. And I think that's really, for me, you know, through the, the power of the Spirit, yeah. with the illumination of the word, through here, faith comes by hearing, through all the mechanisms, the means of grace, as it were, um, it's come to, to learn how to speak rightly about myself and about God has been, yeah. been a real gift of the Spirit, I believe, um, in my right. life. One thing I think you kind of touched on it, J.D., but in you know, John chapter 14, we're told that the Spirit comes in the name of Jesus Christ. He, he comes almost in the same way that, that, that Jesus comes to exegete the Father, to, to reveal the Father. Yes. The Spirit comes to reveal Christ. And so uh, you know, every once in a while, you'll have someone say, the, the Holy Spirit's the forgotten person of the Trinity. No one, no one, we're, not, we're not praying after the Holy Spirit. We're not listening more, more to the Holy Spirit. We need to be thinking more about the Holy Spirit. We need to be worshiping the Holy Spirit more. Uh, okay. You can, of course, you can pray to the Holy Spirit, and you can. Um, yes, all, all that's true. Seek for the things of the Spirit, sure. But, but I think if if we were to ask the Holy Spirit, um, you know, are you upset that we're not paying more attention to you? I think he would say, the truly spirit-filled person is focusing on Christ, is Amen. is is meditating on His Word, is is letting the the words of Christ fill and dwell in you richly. That's what the spirit-filled person is doing. He's not running off looking for me to guide them into which parking space to choose in a parking lot. And this is why that word convicting is so important. When we talk about the spirit convicting of sin, I, for years of my life, I had this weird Christian-y idea that conviction was a good thing, Hmm. that, that you'd walk out of church and compliment the preacher on his convicting sermon. And um, I feel really guilty. Thank you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I didn't think of it in terms of guilt because I only thought of it in terms of the church. But in the church, it was only ever used as a like, mm, like you made me feel something. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. It was at best that I have work I need to do. And if the spirit is really, as you say, pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ again and again and again, that convicting work is not hey, you, we, can, we can do better, sir. The, the conviction comes <laughs> at the end of a trial, and it's a guilty verdict. Mm. That's what it is. And therefore, it's a necessary pointing to the Savior. Right. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, this is what we talk about, you know, all the imagery in the Old Testament in particular, the refiner's fire of the, yeah. of the dross being burned away. That sounds away. great, thank you. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> really, you know, or the, the iron sharpening. I mean, use whatever imagery you want from the scriptures and you'll see that it points towards the, that the, the power of the spirit is the, is the sanctifying agent on the life of a Christian that continually cuts off avenues other than Christ for their hope. You know, it's like continues the, the old image that our uh, teacher used about the being driven into a box canyon, you know, in an old Western. And, and the problem with that 
for us, for me, I can speak personally, uh, having experienced this, is that it's a very painful experience. It's a very, to have your grip, um, you know, we think that we can just willingly let go of these things that are, that are idols in our hearts. And and the Lord has to um, amputate some people, you know, their hands at least. That's right. And I think that, you know, this is the power of the spirit again, because only by faith, which is a gift, can you actually look at that, at that sanctifying work as a good, you know, who, who else would look at themselves? Who else would look at the cross for that matter and say, this is the power unto salvation for me. You know, we would say it was either foolishness or it was a stumbling block. And so, you know, we had a speaker once at a conference that Nick and I went to who said, who said, you want to know where the power of the spirit lies? He's like each and every person that ever cries out to God is a is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. You know, and I said, and that was a that was a not an entirely new thought, but he was reacting to this this very question that we're talking about, about how, you know, whether or not the feelings or kind of, um, you know, miraculous uh, there wasn't enough. There weren't enough signs and wonders, as it were. And he said, the signs and wonders are every single person who looks yeah. at their life and their eyes up to heaven and see the the hands of their Savior, who trust in His mercy and His providence. In the and that's why I'm unsurprised. You know, Christians go into the world proclaiming this incredibly offensive thing that God is not only not out of control, you know, God's not out of control of the coronavirus or, or earthquakes or pandemics or, or infant death, or he's not in control of that. And he's also simultaneously a God of love and a God of mercy. And, and how these are reconciled, we talked about last week, but that we can say that and believe it and preach and sing it is a power, a work of the spirit and the work of the church. And so when Paul talks about, you know, repeatedly this incredibly offensive thing that the church is completing the sufferings of Christ in itself, you know, uh, sort of the, the sufferings that we carry on in the world while proclaiming this loving and, and merciful and benevolent God um, seem crazy and, in fact, are increasingly offensive yeah. to people who do not have eyes to see. And yet, right. as Paul writes, for those of us being saved, it is the, it is the power that's, of God. That's why, you know, I know you mentioned, you know, signs and wonders. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you really take seriously what the Bible says about, about the fallen human nature, that no one seeks God, no one is righteous, no one, the, the, the mind of the flesh is hostile uh, to God and, and will not submit to him. The fact that there are, are believers and that there are millions of believers around the world tells us that God is, is doing miracle and sign and wonder Amen. after miracle and sign and wonder. You, you, you would not have the church Amen. were he not still doing those miracles, were he not still raising the dead. That's right. That's right. Raising the dead to new life by faith. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, I have to say, I mean, I am certainly not, you know, against the possibility of God doing miraculous things in the world. You know, that's what often what gets caricatured that somehow if you, mm-hmm. if you have any sort of sense of caution about, um, you know, that places works, like yeah. these revivals right. or like the Toronto blessing or, um, you know, Bethel school for miraculous or whatever it's called. Um, if you have any, any, any hesitation about that, then somehow you, you just, you have, clamped the whole, you've quenched the Holy Spirit. You have said that, and I, that's couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I pray personally, as I'm sure you do for healing, pray for miracles. We pray for, um, you know, for all manner of things and, and have seen a variety of things happen, um, you know, by God's providence that I would consider right. to be um, a direct answer to prayer. And I don't yeah, think, 
And I think, so, you know, I think what I get most nervous about is when people begin to go pit the spirit and what the spirit is quote unquote saying or doing over against the scriptures or over against the, the, the witness of the, yeah. of the Bible. And I think that's where we've gotten in trouble because people will say things like, you know, they'll point to that verse and I should have it up here. I'm sure maybe, you know, you know, that the spirit will lead you into all truth. Well, right here, you know, well, the new truth that he's leading us yeah. into. This feels is, right is X, Y, or Z. I mean, it's like, that promise guarantees the Gospels as, as the, the, the remembered, perfectly remembered uh, testimony of the apostles. When Jesus says, hey, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and lead you into all truth, um, uh, in John chapter 14, and he says, uh, he'll call to mind the things that I've taught you. And then John chapter 16, he says, and he'll give you the rest, the remainder of my teaching. That's what we have to guarantee, the, right. the inerrancy and the truthfulness uh, of the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. He says, he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will right. speak and he will yeah. disclose to you right. all this come, which of course reveals something that we now can meditate on the inner Trinitarian sort of dialogue going on, but that we see these pitted against each other, I think has been probably the gravest error um, that sort of, as it were, the quote unquote charismatic church uh, yeah. has, has engaged in because I, it has untethered itself from mm -hmm. being corrected by scripture. And of course we can be wrong in our interpretation individually, but I think, you know, in general, um, we should, that should be the relationship, you know, is the spirit leading me into all truth that has been revealed. And is this, does this, you know, did, did it seem good among all the believers, you know, like in Acts? Um, I think there's a distinction, you know, between, I, I, yes, we, I pray for miracles all the time for people to be healed who are dying or who are sick, um, those kinds of things. And God, I've seen God do amazing things um, through, through prayer, but there's a difference between that and, and saying, okay, well, we have these uh, spirit filled miracle workers nowadays yes. who, who go around performing miracles because when God did that, he was also revealing his word when he, when, right. he, when he, when he authenticated men or, or, his prophets. The reason for that is because he was actually revealing new truth and he had to get that. He had to testify to that. That's right. This is my servant. Um, and so, and so people today who claim to be, um, I'm a miracle worker, I'm a healer I'm whatever, whatever it is. Look, I don't want to get into the cessationist continuationist argument, yeah. but, but if you have someone walking around doing those types, doing those caliber of miracles um, and claiming to have prophetic utterances, um, then we have, then we have people who are saying things today that have the same authority right. as, as the scriptures. And we, our canon just got a lot larger. So unless right. they're just repeating the scriptures. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We've been, been and, and how, if that's the case, man, just listen to some of the people who make claims like this yeah. and all the things that you're supposed to do because yeah, an angel to told Christ. me or, or, or because I got this in a dream or because the, 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 the spirit told me not all of them are contrary to scripture, but they're certainly in addition to scripture. And you have a whole lot more now yes. that you're, you got to submit to and do. And it, so this it is why the law on top of the law on top of the law. This is why the actual pouring out of the Holy Spirit on that Pentecost is actually really instructive because mm -hmm. the focus is never on, the miracle of the languages really, I mean, that's a really cool thing. And it's amazing that the Holy Spirit enables all the people who are there from everywhere to hear in their own languages. But what is it that they're hearing? They're hearing the announcement of the mighty works of Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit yeah. is always pointing to. And if you're not focused on the Holy Spirit so much in the action of the miracle of the tongues, You've got to be focused on what the Holy Spirit is announcing through that, and it's the, the gospel of Jesus Christ.
That's right. I mean, like Peter's first sermon was just a recounting of what had transpired. Yeah. And at the end, you know, it says that um, that they were worried about this. How can were, we be saved? They were cut you know, to the heart. Cut to the heart. And he said, well, repent, receive the Holy Spirit and receive and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins in his name. I mean, this is what this is what the, the work of the spirit was. And I think, um, again, that doesn't mean that we don't see the spirit work in, in other ways. But I think when it's when it's grounded, first of all, in what has been revealed that he will actually do. And then when his works, which has been enumerated, like you mentioned, Matt, in uh, uh, Galatians chapter five, I mean, the works of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit are these, you know, love, joy, right. peace, patience, kind of the, the recreation of the human heart around the otherwise darkness that Jesus points out. Remember in John, you know, out of the heart comes envy, je- uh, jealousy, slander, slice. Uh, uh, the works uh, of the flesh uh, right there. In the... Right. And so this is where we pray for that. You know, I want that. Uh, much more now as I grow older and, and gather more responsibility for my wife and children and, and various other you know relationships I have, I, I pray much more earnestly for that than, than I ever have before. And I see that as a, as a continuation of the work of the Spirit in my life, not something yeah. I even asked for, but the, because right. of the pain that comes from having legitimately hurt um, someone by action or inaction that, I, that it turns out I really do love, well, then my prayers are redoubled that the spirit, right. the work of the spirit will continue to, to grow and deepen those, those fruit, um, the roots of those fruit uh, in my heart. And that's, you know, I think that's um, to the extent that anyone who considers themselves in whatever spectrum of the spirit um, world, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to the extent that we share that prayer together in that, in that direction and, and on that basis, then I say amen and amen. Yeah, you know? So if you want to have a guitar or you want to have contemplative tenebrae or something, I mean, who cares? You know, right. you want to have it out in a field, you want to have it in a cathedral, you want to have it in a school cafeteria. You know, the, the, the medium is, is secondary to the, to right. the sort of constitutive message. And I think that part of the confusion, which you pointed out in the beginning, Matt, is that we have been accustomed to being entertained and sort of manipulated, frankly, by all manner of things. And so we come to church um, expecting the same thing, you know, like the George Lucas sound or the John Williams soundtrack in the beginning and the laser light show and everyone has the uh, preachers with sneakers on and stuff, you know, and we, we get, we get sort of pumped up and, you know, an old teacher of ours used to call this um, hot air balloon theologizing that, you know, everyone gets puffed up. And then the moment you leave church, it just sort of dissipates and you just kind of float away. And so what you need is just more and more and more louder and louder and louder and more deeper depths and higher heights. And um, no wonder people will find the same satisfaction in a soul cycle or a mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. yoga studio or a, um, a good walk, you know, a good, right. a good brisk hike up the mountain, you know, yeah. to commune with God. The and, fact that it's universally experienced outside the Christian faith tells us that it's not the spirit. Well, <laughs> I think it's that's not, probably a pretty good way spirit, to say right? it. <laughs> that's probably, probably a pretty good uh, rule for, uh, you know, rule of thumb right there. I think. And I think we would all say that we're okay with having awesome music in your church. We're okay with sure. being an engaging preacher, but it's about sure. what you're saying and what you're pointing to rather yeah. than how you're doing it. Amen. I agree with Absolutely. that entirely. You know, one area this, uh, that this is really affects Anglicanism um, is the, the growth of the name and claim it movement within African uh, African jurisdictions, the the prosperity gospel kind of wedded to the, if I have enough faith and believe this thing hard enough, then God is going to give it to me. Um, and that's all, of course, linked with the work of the Holy Spirit. And then if you're spirit filled, then of course you should have the faith to 
call forth whatever blessing, uh, whatever blessing you, you need. I had a woman come to my church who just left about two years ago uh, to move away, but she had been in one of these uh, pretty far out name it, claim it churches and she got breast cancer and she was in the hospital and suffering and her the people in her parish came by and her pastor came by and said, you know, her pastor said, look, I prayed for you. I've, I've declared you clean of this breast cancer. And I, I know I have faith that you're, so so who's you know really the reason that she's not she has breast cancer and hasn't gone away is because she just you know she's not filled with the spirit and she doesn't have enough Mm. faith so it's her fault and she lived with that for like four years when she came to the good shepherd but which is a perfect example we're all predisposed to believe that that's why we need the opposite proclamation that's right that's that's and that could be so easily disproven in literally every single book of the new testament and (laughs) not to mention everyone in the old testament you know like like ezekiel preaching like you think god has left you alone this is the this is the judgment of your of your apostasy the babylonian (laughs) judgment of god's left hand um, but take heart, he still is God and he's not forgotten about you. You know, that is a much different word than you must be in Babylon because you, you didn't, um, you don't have enough faith, you know? Right. I mean, we may, you may not have had enough faith, but that's not entirely the reason why you're in Babylon. Exactly. But, but the power of the Holy Spirit is the deepening and outworking of the revelation of God in Christ to the world, which was to the glory of his father. I mean, that's right. what the Holy Spirit does. And so right. where we find that we see, the church, where we see the church by the power of the Spirit, it's praising and upholding Jesus and the cross as the means of salvation. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, being hopeful about about the future of the church is is something we don't have to be hopeful for. Like, hey, is the weather going to be good tomorrow? It's something that's assured to us. I mean, the, the church will not fall, and and Christ is going to come back, and we're still going to be a church here. Uh, now, whether the ACNA will be, <laughs> that's another question. But but the or church, any church, yeah, or any <laughs> church, right. but but the church will 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 remain because we're we're kept we're kept by God Amen. Himself uh, through the Holy Spirit. That's that's another one of His tasks is to is to keep us guard us by faith um, in in Jesus Christ and the uh, you know, fact that the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. I mean, if if, if we're thinking in old covenant terms, that should terrify us. You know, <laughs> wait, wait, God Himself is is within me. Yeah. I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, I, know I, mean, that, I know what happens. That's <laughs> right. But, um, but the fact that this, this tremendous truth that, that God himself has made a home in us is blows the mind and it should. And we're not, we're not burning up. We're not dead. And we're not dead because of course, Christ has taken our sins and cleansed us. And so we can be, we can be the temple. Of, of God and our churches can be the, the, the temple of the Almighty through the Holy Spirit. So that's something to celebrate. Is that we that, that's something that wasn't didn't happen for human beings until after Pentecost. Um, and the Holy Spirit was with us, but he wasn't in us. Now he's now he's in us. Amen. Well, J.D., Matt, have a wonderful Pentecost celebration in your churches. You listeners, please do the same. We're so appreciative of your taking the time uh, to hang out with us. We'll be back next week. And until then, uh, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, in the name of the Holy Spirit, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.